The following message is from the 2012 IBCD Summer Institute, Changed by Grace. Well, welcome to the conference and welcome to this workshop, which is Drawing Out Idols of the Heart. Um, I'm glad you're here and I picked this topic because uh, this is a topic that um, is fundamental to our own lives and it's fundamental when someone asks you to give them counsel that, that we understand it. So let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. and We uh, thank you that everything we need to be satisfied is in him. We ask your help and forgiveness when we wander from him and we look for satisfaction in other places. May you help us to um, remember the gospel. The gospel be um, practical in our daily living and that would keep us close to you. Help me to teach tonight, and would you teach your people. In Christ's name, amen. The outline of the workshop, I'll do a brief introduction, then we'll spend some time answering some theological questions. What is an idol of the heart? What are the effects of an idol? And what does the first commandment forbid? And we're going to do that as a review. Um, what we want to do is take this theological understanding of idols of the heart and be able to apply it in a practical way in a counseling session or meeting with someone who wants your counsel over coffee. Uh, then we're going to uh, get into the heart of the workshop. How do we practically apply this theology? How do we answer this question? How does the counselor draw out an idol of the heart. Throughout this life, there will be a battle of faith in Jesus or faith in idols. And this is of paramount importance because this has to do with violating or obeying the first and greatest commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you can expect that the pressures of life will expose these idols in, in your life. It's like putting something into heat and the impurities will come out. When you're in counseling, there's a lot of elements. You're developing relationships with the person or the people. You're gathering information. You're teaching and you're giving counsel. But simultaneously, while all those elements are going on, there's one common thread through there. And as a counselor, you're, you're trying to identify what are the idols of the heart through the entire time that you're with the, this person. Um, the counselee should be viewed by you as worshipers. That's how we've been designed and built. And you should look across the table, look across the room at this person, and be, have a, an eye for that this person is a worshiper, and you're always considering the whole time you're with them, what are they worshiping and trying to answer that question. So our first section, we're going to answer the question, what is an idol of the heart? And just to give some, uh, some words um, that you'll hear used, an idol of the heart, we can refer to it as an idol, a ruling idol, spiritual idolatry, spiritual adultery, 
sinful inner desire, or a functional God. So I may use some of those, um, but they're all referring to the same thing. Idols of the heart and idolatry, it begins with unbelief. Um, We suppress the truth of God, we actively do that, and we believe the lie of the idol. And when that happens, we move out into misplaced worship. Um, in Romans 1.25, the Apostle Paul says, for they, exchange, they changed, for they exchanged, sorry, that's a, an error there, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. So to try to define an idol of the heart, I'm going to define it in different ways to give you uh, kind of a fuller picture. But one overall definition would be anything that functions in the life of a person in the place of God. And so we'll add to that to kind of fill it in. Anything we're looking for our ultimate satisfaction or security apart from God. Anything we love, trust, or fear more than God. And if you think about these words, love, trust, and fear, these are worship words. If our primary identity, our primary worth or righteousness is from anything other than Christ, then we're talking about an idol of the heart. If our source of hope primarily is not the God of hope, that is an idol. Where it gets very easy to do is there, we have good desires. There's nothing wrong with the desire but it becomes a desire that starts ruling our life or becomes the ultimate desire in our life. So either, even a good desire can become an idol. In Webster's Dictionary, uh, I went to an 1828 edition. It's hard to find in the more modern dictionaries uh, in definitions the word sin and the word God. And so in Webster's Dictionary, 1828, it defines an idol as that to which we indulge in excessive and sinful attachment, anything which usurps the place of God in the hearts of his rational creatures. And then it gives an example. To idolize is to love to excess, and the example of to idolize even children. Some common idols I have here listed on the screen. Um, when you're counseling people, you can kind of expect to see some of these common idols where they're putting too much trust in money or security, romance or sex, a godly spouse, ideal children, respect, control, their own performance, or the approval of other people. And people can have uh, unique or predominant idols in James 1.14, he says, But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. The idea is his own peculiar lust, what's peculiar to him. And idols can be numerous in us. They can evolve over time. And they can interplay with each other. This very dynamic thing that we won't, we won't be able to completely understand. They can also contradict each other. So someone could have an idol such as 
a, a demand for respect. They think they have this need for respect. And so they might angrily deal with their family to get this respect. And then on another day, they might have this idol for acceptance and peace, and they'll go overboard trying to get acceptance and peace with their family. So they can contradict each other too. We'll move on to the next question. What are the effects of an idol? And the, the way I wanted to simplify it is there's this two-part sin in the heart of man. There's the idolatry, which is sin, and then there's the sin, which is violations of God's moral law. So when we're seeking satisfaction in anything other than God, what we desire, what we're seeking to be satisfied with, we're going to move out in behavior. We're going to follow our desires. So whatever we're idolizing, um, we're, we're going to, that's going to cause sinful behavior to flow out of that. When you're in counseling and someone asks you the question of why did this person do this sinful behavior, there, there is an answer that's, that's an important answer because it's the root answer, the root cause. And the answer you can give is because of the idolatry in their heart. That, that is why they did it. Um, they do not believe that God will satisfy more than this other thing, and so they're seeking after that satisfaction. One root of idolatry can cause countless bad fruit in a person's life. Um, and it can detrimentally affect our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, and it can detrimentally affect every area of life. Regarding our relationship with God, um, it can separate the closeness, and God may intervene for his own people um, in one of these four ways, that um, he may discipline us for our growth in holiness and for our ultimate happiness. He may allow the error or the idolatry to continue. It's kind of like the idea of, um, okay, you want that, then I want you to experience it, so then you'll come back to me. Like a child who's rebellious, and you let them experience the consequences for a while, you let them have what they want. Um, or the Lord might intervene by withholding or removing an idol, um, and that might be something that's actually a good thing in our life, but it's become a ruling thing in our life, it's become more important to us than the Lord, and he may remove it. And then he also may make us aware of the idol, which is the best scenario, for the purpose of repentance. Regarding uh, the, the detrimental effect of an idol on our uh, personal relationships, um, I have the two scenarios here where one is an idol of the heart is in play and the other, um, a renewed heart is in play. So in the first one, someone might come into counseling and the presenting problem is quarreling. And if you dig a little deeper, you'll see there's a lot of harshness in the way this person interacts with the other person. Um, but you have to dig deeper to what is the idol? What is the heart worship? What are they trusting in that's resulting in harshness that results in uh, relational problems or this quarreling? And so in this, the example I have here, someone who's trusting in their own control of circumstances, um, rather than relating the gospel to the situation, rather than uh, bringing scripture to bear on the situation, they're, they're trusting in control. And so they're harsh with people, um, and they're demanding with people, and they're trying to get their way because they're trying to control outcome of, of the situation. But a person who 
goes to the gospel, a person um, who's growing um, in Christ-likeness, a person who brings Scripture to bear, will remember and will be helped by God to know that God is in sovereign control. And so I don't have to control the way everything turns out. I don't have to manipulate people. That I can, I, The harshness can fade away because I'm trusting in God's sovereign control. And then I'm going to have more peaceful relationships with other people. So um, the quarreling is the presenting problem. The harshness is the character trait. But you've got to get to that heart worship. What they're trusting in, in this example, is control. This is where uh, psychotherapy cannot get to that bottom level. Only the Lord can make change at that bottom level, that heart worship. So the one root of idolatry can cause countless bad fruit in, in all of life. Um, if we're living according to a ruling idol, the way our life will look is that we'll be reflecting the world instead of reflecting the image of Christ. Um, that idol will cause disobedience. It'll stunt our spiritual growth. Um, the idol will blind us to our sin and we'll be stumbling over our sin because of this desire that, that we want. The idol will um, cause us to be weary, heavy laden, begin to be hopeless, and then the Christian experience will be filled with lesser desires and unfulfilled desires. And then finally, um, the idol will bring death, scriptural term for it, or harm. There can be death of peace, joy, reputation, marriage, clear conscience, ministry, physical death, harm, harm to those kinds of things. And when a person has this desire and they're trusting in it and they're banking on it, um, that they'll, do, they'll sin in this way that's up on the screen. They'll, they'll hide their sin. They'll lie about their sin. They'll manipulate. They'll make excuses. They'll blame shift. They'll be defensive because they really believe this is what they need. This is what's going to satisfy. And they'll sin to get it. They'll sin to keep it. They'll sin to, to protect it. Okay, the next category, next question to answer is what does the first commandment forbid? The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. So to understand the first commandment, there's a narrow aspect to it and then there's a broad aspect to it. Um, the narrow aspect is that it forbids you to have in your life pagan deities like Baal worship, um, it forbids false religions like Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, that kind of thing. Uh, forbids cults, non-Trinitarian um, cults, Jehovah Witness, Christian Science, Mormonism, that kind of thing. Occultism, secret societies, that type of thing. But the broad aspect of this command is that it forbids anything to function in your life in the place of God. It forbids idols of the heart. So I want to talk briefly about biblical warrant for even this concept of idol of the heart. How do we get there? So I want you to be very confident in this doctrine um, because you will need to battle with, uh, spiritually battle to help people and you're going to have to have faith in this doctrine. Um, so the first way we get biblical warrant is um, to compare summaries of the law. So 
you shall have no other gods before me is a summary of the law, of, um, of the whole law. And then we go to the New Testament and we read, you shall love the Lord your God with your, all your heart. That's another summary of the law. So as we look at the other summaries of the law, we start understanding what it means to have uh, another God before the true God. So whatever we love more than God is violating the first commandment. It's having another God before him. And then scripture uses the terminology in Ezekiel 14. He says, uh, it says, son of man, these men have set up idols in their heart. Now, this was just a concept that's just starting to get um, revealed in, in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it becomes very clear. And the New Testament starts talking about desires and lusts. And it, um, it focuses on that. But we're talking about the same thing. Uh, scripture uses the concept of idols of the heart. In Habakkuk 1, Habakkuk prays. And the Lord answers the prayer regarding the Babylonians, and he says, they whose strength is their God. So their God, the God they put before the true and living God, was their strength. That's what they trusted in. Um, that's what they would fear not having. In uh, Jeremiah, he judges Judah, and he uses these words in Jeremiah 2, that you've loved something other than God, you've trusted something other than God, and you've feared things other than God. He's, he's not first in these areas. And then the historical interpretation of uh, Scripture, the Puritans coined the terms soul idolatry and inordinate desire. So this isn't something new, it's something that's been around um, for a very long time. And in the Westminster Larger Catechism, the first commandment is said to be violated when there is an inordinate and immoderate setting of our mind, will, or affections upon other things. And in Matthew Henry's commentary on the first commandment, he states, whatever is esteemed or loved, feared or served, delighted in or depended on, more than God, whatever it is, we do in effect make a God of. So this is uh, our last question to answer. This is the main focus of uh, this workshop. This is where we'll spend uh, most of our time. This is where we're going to get um, practical. How do we do this um, when we're sitting there with someone? Proverbs 25 says, A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. So first, um, we need to pray. The counseling should be saturated with prayer. We should pray before counseling, after. We should be ready to turn in the middle of counseling to praise, thank, ask God for help. Um, we should be praying, both counselor and counselee, be praying in that way, be praying in the week, in between, when we're not seeing people. And then um, there's things to have the counseling focus prayer on, but... You know, a couple things that are always needed is that he would become a person where the gospel is the center of his life, that the gospel is the motivation for his life, that the gospel intersects his life. It intersects his, his marriage, his parenting, his work, his um, being a member of a church. And then also, I like to tell the counselees, you need to pray because you and I can't 
can't fix this problem. That we need heart level change and only the Lord can do that. That's his sovereign work. And so when you're praying, remember, without that, without him, we're, we're, the change that we're looking for is not going to happen. Okay, so starting to get practical here. Um, we watch for clues. And we're going to um, ask questions. We're going to listen very carefully for the words the counselee chooses. We're going to um, relate sinful behavior to idols. We're going to look for patterns. If there's an outburst or a sinful negative reaction, we're going to know what the topic we were talking about is, and it's probably an idol. And sometimes when you're teaching unrelated topics, you can use it, you can use it to see if there's idolatry in play. And then if there's bad fruit in general in someone's life, um, if the person's just demanding and judging and blaming others and justifying sin and punishing others, and there's just chaos in this life, yeah, a passage of Scripture is not going to fix that. You, know, you have to see what's going on um, in this person's heart. Okay, so first, the questions. Um, you'll ask questions like, when you committed this sin, what were you longing for? Um, when you sin like this, what was it you really wanted so badly? And listen to them and draw out what it was behind that sin. Um, I had a, a married female professing Christian uh, in counseling, and she developed a friendship with uh, a male and ended up kissing this male. And they're in counseling, had been exposed, they're in counseling. And so I asked her, what was it that she longed for so badly that she was willing to be unfaithful? She was willing to push God aside, push his words aside, her, her, uh, God's word aside, and uh, risk uh, the marriage like this. And as she thought about it, she hadn't thought about it before, but she was looking for conversation, relationship, kind of the, the idea of an ideal marriage. And so we talked about how a good communicator and a husband, a relational husband, those are good desires. But this became an idolatrous desire over time in the heart that she was willing to sin to get those things. So you can also ask questions like, if a counselee says, I can't go on like this anymore, then you say, I can't answer this question for me. I can't go on like this anymore. I must have. And see what you can draw out of them. And, and as these things are coming out, you're writing these things down. That you're not just having conversation and letting these key bits of data um, go by. Um, they need to come into play later. The words chosen by the counselee, if they say something like, I feel like I'm losing control, sometimes you can have compassion and you move on in the conversation to see what the story is and you've missed, there's a key idol probably there that this person is trusting in control. Um, or they say, uh, you know, they look at their spouse and say, all I need is for him to be more godly husband. Well, godly husband may be too big. Or the husband says, when I come home from work, aren't I entitled to some peace? And that word should, that word peace should be something that you're writing down. Um, if there's sinful behavior, um, like someone says to you, well, I've always had a problem flirting with women. Um, women is probably an idol in this person's life. If they're misusing alcohol, they're using pornography, alcohol, pornography, 
is surfacing as idolatry. Uh, you're looking for patterns. What's driving the habitual sin um, or the relational problems? What are the patterns that you can see that are um, common through these problems? And I'll give you an example of someone in counseling. I had a guy who came in. He wanted counseling for being angry. Um, we, well, you, you generally can't just counsel anger. That's, that's a behavior. You've got to figure out what the heart issue is. And so I started asking him, well, who are you getting angry with? And he came up with uh, wife, kids, in-laws, and coworkers. And so we went through each one of those one by one. When you're getting angry with your wife, stop and think, what is it you're wanting from her? And he says, respect. And we went down the line. When you're getting angry with your kids, think, what are you wanting? Respect. In-laws, respect. Coworkers, respect. And so you're seeing a pattern behind all these times he's getting angry. And a sinful demand for respect is an idol in this person's life. If there's a sinful or negative reaction when you're meeting with somebody, let's say the counselor or the spouse corrects the person and there's this, there's this really negative reaction, um, you, you notice these unyielding emotions, anger, blame shifting, lying. The person's idol is being threatened and they're um, not wanting it to be exposed or they're not wanting to lose it. And let me make a, a note, I'll probably come to it later, is as you're writing these things down, you have in your mind that these are potential idols. And you'll come to a conclusion later of um, what, what is the, 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 the wrong heart issue. Okay, uh, another way of watching for clues is that um, you could be teaching an unrelated topic like I have an example up here, you're teaching what are the priorities for a husband or wife? What are the priorities in marriage? And um, I like to write up on the whiteboard, God is our first priority in marriage, and then our spouse, and then there's a, there's a gap there, and then children, and then work, and then it gets a little more unclear after that. And in the counseling session, I would show them biblically why this is the priority. And um, as you're talking to them, you'll ask the husband and wife, the way you function, what are your priorities? And you write them on the board. Do the husband, then you do the wife. And what you'll find is there'll be things that have got in the way of this being a biblical priority in the way they're functioning. Um, so we'll pick on the husband in this case. You can find that sports has just really dominated this guy's life to the point of he's neglecting his wife, he's neglecting other things. And so... You were talking about, you were teaching a subject of how, what, what are the priorities in your life, but you were able to see this clue of a potential idol from, from that teaching. I think I mentioned this before. If there's uh, just general bad fruit, um, then you, you know, you're going to need to dig for an idol that's causing it. Okay, you teach the concept. Some people need to be taught the concept. They don't understand it. They don't know it. So you can expound a passage of Scripture like Isaiah 55, 2 or 1 and 2. and uh, It says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. So you can have this conversation, help them to come to the conclusion of that what they're seeking, what they're trusting in, what they're loving, what they're fearing losing has not been satisfying, never will satisfy, and there is satisfaction in living life out in light of the gospel. Or you can go to James 
4, in the beginning of that passage, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures or your sinful inner desires that wage war in your members? And get them, teach them the concept by expounding these passages. You could do, and you're not going to do all this, um, but these are just options to do. Um, you could take them to a biblical case study. You could go to Rachel in Genesis 30 and 35, and you could look at all the sin occurring there, anger, jealousy, conflict, advised her husband to sin, discontentment, and you can show in the text the idolatry, the, the uh, inordinate desire for children, the inordinate desire to have the respect of being a child-bearer. Um, and part of teaching the concept, you can share your own testimony um, of how the Lord has worked in your heart regarding idolatry. And it's very important that you understand it in your own heart so you know, when you're explaining it to, to someone who's coming to you for help. And so in my life, since I've become a Christian, I've had to um, deal with these issues, approval of man, control, comfort, respect, and more. And so I can share that and... Um, we never get totally free of these things, but we get incrementally free of these things and sometimes big jumps and changes that the Lord graces us with. And so it, it's, it's good to show them that um, this is just the Christian experience and you're not above them. Um, this, is, this is something they should fear. This is something that they should um, um, embrace. Um, another way to draw out idols of the heart is through homework assignments. You can have them journal, um, you know, like when they're getting angry or they're in relational conflict, they can take time to write down what was going on, um, what were they wanting, that kind of thing. And it's, uh, that's a good time when they're journaling that stuff for them to also pray and talk to the Lord about the specific wrong desires they have. But what we're going to focus on is uh, the common idols or God's handout that you have and the questions for the heart handout. If you want to pull those out, we'll start with this uh, common idols or gods. So this is a homework assignment you can give them. They read the first page and it starts getting them thinking again from the counseling session about idols of the heart. It, it describes it. It has passages of scripture and then it asks them to pray and ask the Lord to help. And then on the second page is a lot of questions, which I usually explain to them. Read these questions and have these questions just start getting you in this mind frame of trying to discover what it is that you're um, trusting in that you shouldn't be trusting in. I don't have them answer all these questions, but sometimes they do, and it's valuable, it's valuable data um, to use. Then on the next page, on page three begins a long list of almost 100 common idols um, that have either been gathered from um, quality books that I've read or from counseling sessions or from my own life, um, that type of thing. So we ask them to go down this list and look for what, what are these things do you think you're trusting in more than the Lord? And it's kind of especially with the idea of, because if we look at it a little too loosely, we could check so many things that, it's not of any value, but I usually tell them, which of these things do you think are causing harm in your life or causing damage? And um, I'll often ask the spouse to uh, also go through it so we get that, imp that insight. 
and use like a different kind of mark or something so I'll know who marked what. And then when they come in, we discuss it. And so there's pa several pages, a few pages of these things. Um, and then at the end, um, there's just something to kind of talk to them through the homework assignment, talk to them about the idol, and lead them into prayer um, regarding what they, what they marked. The second handout is called Questions for the Heart. So on the first handout, I give them all the potential idols. On this handout, it's kind of the opposite. I have them answer questions. When I get it back, I'm going to look and see uh, what they wrote, and I'm going to try to draw out idols from their narrative. This particular um, set of questions was developed by David Powelson, which is he's part of CCF with uh, Tim Lane. This is from his book, Seeing with New Eyes. Uh, they're very effective questions to see the idolatry. So I've, I've added some instructions and made it into this format, so it's like a counseling assignment. Um, so I ask them to answer these questions. They, there's, I think, 35 or so. They don't have to answer them all. They just have to try to do a thorough job. Um, if they feel like they've asked a question and, it's and the next one is redundant, because they are kind of intended to be a little bit redundant to, to make sure we, we get the, the data we need, um, they, they're free to skip a question. They just have to try to be thorough, um, but it doesn't have to become cumbersome. And you'll read what they write, and you'll be able to circle um, patterns um, that really make it clear what they're living for um, above Christ or what they tend to struggle with and they need to be aware of. So on this questions for the heart, um, I have some answers here that people wrote. So the answer to question two, which is question two, what do you want, desire, crave, lust, and wish for? What desires do you serve and obey? And this person wrote, family to, to prove I'm meant for something greater. And then they answered in question four, where do you bank your hopes in family? Question 13. Who must you please? And I won't write the whole question, but it has to do about who must you please. And they wrote husband, friends, family, anyone. And then 15. On your deathbed, what would sum up your life as worthwhile? What gives your life meaning? And they put, to be a positive role model for my kids and grandkids. And then the last question, where do you find your identity? How do you define who you are? And the answer was, in my kids. So what potential idols of the heart do you see there? You can answer. Go ahead and answer if you see something family, children, and approval of other people. Okay, also, when people come in, you can anticipate certain idols. There, people come in, and, and I know, just because I know what they're coming in for counseling for, I can, sometimes I know what the idol is. Certainly, you can have a suspicion of what it might be. So, depending on culture, and it can be... Um, culture as you're thinking, or it could be like culture, like a business culture, that kind of thing. Um, so like someone in a financial industry 
this obviously is not true with everybody, but um, there can be a temptation to that person for money and success, being successful and that kind of thing. Um, that can draw them there. Um, gender, um, you can pretty much guess for a lot of men that they're going to trust in getting the respect of their wife um, too much. Um, or a big percentage of males that come in, there's pornography going on. And so you can anticipate that that's um, an idol in their heart. And then particular sins. If there's a large sin going on in their life, there's, there's idols behind it. And I, I'm using uh, pornography as the example of a particular sin. So if someone comes in and they're doing pornography, I already know to run down this list with them and talk to them about it and see, get them to better understand what they're desiring over, over Christ. And in the in the, uh, one of the handouts, Common Idols or Gods, when you get to pornography, it lists these, it lists these there. Um, so I'll talk to them. You're doing this for physical pleasure? Yeah, definitely. Is, is this like um, fantasy sex? Is, you know, you're, you're wanting some kind of sex that's not biblical sex. The Bible isn't driving what sex means to you. and Yeah, that's what's happening. Um, are you wanting escape from life's problems and responsibilities, and this is how you do it? Um, they may answer yes or no. Um, are you wanting control, especially control of women? Um, or a lot of them will answer yes to this question. Was it like being a king for a few moments? You know, you got this affirmation and appreciation and that kind of thing. And they'll answer yes. So they start to get a better understanding of what their heart is motivated towards rather than um, just resting in the gospel. Okay, the third handout... The last one is this uh, one I have titled Log List. So what I do, I have this with me. And as I'm talking to people, I'm documenting what I'm hearing. So in the way I have this one set up, it's two columns for a husband and a wife. If you have just one person you're dealing with, you could get rid of the two columns and just have the one column. And so as, I, as I'm hearing these idols, I'm writing down approval of other people. Um, so I'm, and then from there, I'm documenting the sins that are flowing out of this wrong desire. And then I'm documenting what kind of harm is happening in their life. Um, you know, like, for example, if they've, if they've got this idol of um, sexual pleasure and they're acting out in pornography and then they're, um, they're threatening their marriage is the harm that's being done. Um, and then um, who all, start documenting who all confession um, should involve. And I have the word potential here. I start out like that. They know what I'm writing. Um, at some point, I'll have them go home, um, pray about it, go to the Lord over it. I'll have them cross out things they really don't think is ruling their life or causing harm. But we'll come to a mutual agreement. And then this will become the, the list that they will confess from. So, and, they, and it's a powerful confession because it's not just uh, sorry I threatened our marriage. It's, I've done all this harm. It's these specific sins and violations of God's law that I did that caused this harm. And, and I understand the desires of my heart. I understand the idolatry that was driving these sins. That's a wonderful confession to hear because you really have hope that there's going to be um, change, that you got to the root of the problem. So up, up on the screen is... Uh, an example of what it might look like. I'll be filling in under the husband, control, respect, 
comfort. And then uh, wife, godly husband, perfect family, admiration of others. And as I have them prioritize things, I might put them at the top or star them or underline them, that kind of thing. And then I'm documenting the sin that flowed out of the idols of the heart and then the harm done. By the way, all these documents I can get to you electronically. At the end, my email will be up there. If anybody wants these electronically, you're free to email me and I'll, I'll send you the copies. Okay, to wrap up. What's going on here is misplaced worship, um, but it's the grace of God and it's the privilege of the believer when the idol gets exposed, when there's repentance of the idol and the mind is renewed. Um, Why don't you turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 17. This is the passage that Tim went over, so I'm not even going to read it because he read it, but I want, it, I want you to see it and we'll talk about it a little bit. But when you get to this point with a counselee, they're getting it. They're seeing, I've been trusting, loving, fearing, not having things other than God, um, rather than God being my ultimate love, my ultimate trust, and I fear him first. Um, they'll get it. And when they go to passages, you take them to passages like Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8, and you, and you read, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. And verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. They'll say, that's me. I, I, I'm getting it. Um, I understand these passages. I understand how they, how they function uh, in my life. And I want to draw on this board, a uh, whiteboard drawing of this passage. And it's um, Tim Lane, his first slide that he put up, was this what I'm going to draw. Um, it's, I've heard it referred to as the three trees diagram. You have the tree that's the bush, the tree that's by the, by the water, and it's the thriving green tree. Um, de- one tree depicting um, not trusting, trusting in um, things other than God, and the other tree trusting in the Lord. And this diagram was developed by somebody at CCF, but I like to use it in counseling, I like to use it in a coffee shop. I like to write on a piece of paper. I like to write on the whiteboard. And you can use it early on to give them this concept of idols of the heart. Or you can, um, you can do it at the end to kind of wrap up and kind of just put that seal on it, get them to see uh, visually what, what we've been talking about, however it might be uh, most helpful. But the main thing is they come to the point where they realize there's only two choices in life. I either trust in something other than God, or I trust God. Um, and that's the point you want them to be at. So I'll, I'll tell them there's two scenarios. There's a positive scenario and a negative scenario. And out of this uh, scenario becomes that dead bush in the desert. And um, out of the, the positive scenario comes that green living water tree. So what happens if they're trusting in idols, like they trust in their own control, um, they trust in being respected, those kinds of things. When, when the pressure of life does come, the heat Tim was talking about, when the pressure does come, what they do is they make a choice and they run 
to these idols. They run to trusting in these things. Um, and it could be any number of things. There was a hundred in that one handout. Um, so they sow to these things. And what will happen is with this one idol, they will reap all kinds of bad fruit. And it will just keep happening in their life. So, you know, there could be uh, anxiety and um, marital marital problems, anger, all this bad fruit happens. And that's, that's the dead bush life. But with the gospel, with the gospel and God's word, if they apply the gospel and God's word to this heat, there's going to be a whole different cycle. They're going to trust in God's sovereign control. They're not going to demand respect. They're going to, they're going to think of the gospel I'm a flawed sinner, unacceptable to God without Christ. I'm helpless. Um, they're going to see themselves in the light of the gospel and realize, who am I to demand, to demand respect? It's God who is worthy of respect. So you start bringing um, the gospel into the real-life situations, and the gospel also tells you to go to the Word of God. The gospel says, Whatever the, the path you take without the Word of God is going to be the wrong direction. You do this in your own strength, and you're going to sin. You're going to make all kinds of mistakes. We need, like a child, to go to our Father and go to the Word of God. And if that happens, when the heat comes, we're going to sow to this, and we're going to reap this abundant Christian life. And we're going to have um, peace and ministry. And, you know, we'll do our part to make the marriage as good as possible and satisfaction. And, and um, the other thing is if, you're, let's say your idol's peace, if when problems happen, your guidance for life is I got to have peace, you're not going to have peace. You're going to have all kinds of bad fruit. But if it's the gospel and the word of God, that the byproduct is going to be the peace you were after in the first place. The other thing that's important to know is that this heat, is coming sovereignly from God. There's purpose in it. There's purpose. He wants to get you off this side, and he wants you to give, live a life that's gospel-centered, that's, that you're completely, because of the gospel, know you're dependent on God's word, and God's word, because of the gospel, you know it's the most loving thing you could follow. So you go from this idolatry to a renewed heart over here, a cycle of a renewed heart. Now, none of us live over here. Um, we're all in process, of, but we want to get over here. And it takes the gospel and God's word to live like, like that. Okay, so what is the solution for idolatry? It's the gospel. Um, we have to remember we have everything we need in the gospel, everything we need in Christ, everything we need to be satisfied. But what we do is we forget that. And so we go out to people and we're trying to get love. We're trying to get acceptance. We're trying to have them have a certain reputation of us. We're trying to justify ourselves through performance. And that ends up in futility, weariness. What you're doing is you're leaving Christ and functionally, and you're trying to get satisfied somewhere else. But you need to go back to the gospel that we're loved by God. We're so loved by God. I don't need to be out here grasping for love. It's, it's like we grasp a handful of water and it just runs down our, our 
arm. We can't hang on to it. Um, or we're just grabbing at air. And w- when we do that, it is not going to last. It's not going to satisfy. Um, we try to get acceptance from people. We've got to remember we're totally accepted by God. When we think about we want a certain reputation with people, then we need to say, wait a minute. I have a reputation. I'm a child of God, and I have the righteousness of Christ. Um, when I try to perform to justify myself, I have to remember, wait, now the gospel says you're a sinner and flawed, and you're not going to justify yourself, but Christ already performed for you. That's been done for you. So you begin, you begin to live that you realize freely I've been given and freely I give. So I'm full of love, an unending supply of God's love, so I just love this person. That's how you can love your enemy. It has nothing to do with the person. I'm accepted by God, so I can accept this person. If I, if I interact with this person based on how they act and the idols of my heart, <laughs> quarrels and conflict. Um, you, you're not going to be able to um, live out the Scriptures and be Christ-like. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. What he's talking about is rest from these idols that we've been discussing. When you leave his rest to try to go get satisfied somewhere else, this temporary satisfaction, you're, you're leaving rest and you're moving towards anxiety, weariness, hopelessness. Come back to Christ. Remember the gospel. You have everything you need. You, you're a person that can um, be in his rest and be giving, not a person who's taking um, all the time. He, he's talking about resting from idols and he's talking about resting from performing the law to justify yourself. And when you think of the gospel, it brings you away from those two things to, to that center, resting in Christ. Okay, um, freedom from an idol is not a scientific step-by-step discovery process like I've just laid out. It is um, not removed by what I know and what I tell the counselor. It's not removed by the will of the counselee. It is a work of the grace of God, the power of God. It's a work of God for the counselor and counselee to, be, to witness happen. Um, the glory goes completely to God. He will do it in his timing and, and his way. But he will do it for the believer. Um, finally, where we started, view your counselee as a worshiper. Um, battle with them in this battle they have of faith in Jesus versus faith in idols. And always considering um, what are they worshiping. In your notes, I have a list of books that if anyone's interested for further study. Um, this book, Gospel Treason by Brad Bigney. I'm not sure if it's out or not yet, but it's out this year. And um, my email is there. If you want these documents, the handouts in electronic form, I'd be glad to get them to you. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your patience um, with these idols of our heart and these idols that um, because uh, because of our choices and our unbelief start to become ruling idols in our life. We thank you that... um, By your grace, um, you help us to become freed from those, that they have less and less influence, that more and more Christ rises up in our heart and in the way we function above all these things. And help us when we work with people, when they say, 
Would you counsel me? Would you help me? Help us, Lord, as earthen vessels to draw these idols out of people. And may we remember in our own life and in the life of the counselee that the answer, the abundant life, satisfaction, fulfillment, the Christian experience is in the gospel. The gospel is adequate for every circumstance, every problem, and every sin. And the gospel is not just to save, but for practical living. And we pray through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Copyright 2012, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.